for joining us as we hear an anointed word from Treasure Coast Victory Center. All the way in our thoughts, our words, and our actions, Father, we thank you for making us citizens of the kingdom of God and give us an opportunity to be influencing other people's lives here in our time on earth. Father, we thank you for the anointing you've given us to teach, to preach, to listen, to understand. Father, I thank you for removing the blinders from our eyes tonight that we may see clearly what your son Jesus did for us on the cross. And I thank you, Father, for every revelation that we get tonight and the ones you reinforce through your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, look at verse 19. It says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are who? God's. Now notice here it tells you that basically you are a spirit, we know that, you have a soul and you live in a physical body. Here the Bible says that your spirit and body were bought with a price, say a price. Notice one price paid for your spirit, who you are, and for your body, and they paid for it at the same time. So the same price at the same time was paid for your body and for your spirit. The results is you should glorify God in your body and in your spirit. How many know that's up to you? And how do we do that? Well, if you study the Bible spiritual-wise, it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. How many know that will help you? It tells you to be filled with the spirit, and it tells you to build yourselves up praying in the Holy Ghost. So all those things will glorify God in your spirit. Notice each and every one of them are up to you. The body, basically, what can we do there? The body says, well, the Bible says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. How many know you can keep sin from entering your mortal body and from sinning? And it also said, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Now, when does your body become holy? Is it 40 years in church? Is it reading the whole New Testament? No, when you get born again, basically at that time, your body becomes holy because now it becomes God's property, no longer your property. The Bible says you are a temple of the Holy Ghost. Just go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 16 now. It says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So that tells you right there that you are holy. You are a temple of the Holy Ghost. Say, I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost. Notice you're not a temple of sin. You're not a temple for sickness and disease. You're not a temple for demons. You are the temple of the living God. You are now God's property. You were bought with a price, one price. The word bought here basically means to I buy, I redeem, or I buy back. It's I buy, I redeem, and I buy back. Adam basically belonged to God when he was created, but then he sold all of mankind into slavery to the devil. So God sent Jesus to buy man back to redeem mankind, and he did that with one price at one time. Now, why did he buy you back? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 16. Paul says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So why did God buy you back? He bought you back, first of all, spiritually, because you were his child, his son, and he also bought your body back. Why? Because he needed influence in the earth realm, and he needed a physical body to do that. So he bought your body back. You are a temple of the living God. Why? So God can walk in you. He can talk through you. He can heal through you. He can preach the gospel through you. He needs a body to do that. So here it says, it is the living God. He dwells in you. He will walk in you. He will be your God, and you shall be his people. Say, I am the temple of God. I was bought with a price. All right, go to Acts chapter 20. All right, Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock 
over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own what? Blood. Notice God purchased, God bought, God redeemed the church. He has redeemed our spirit. Once again, we are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. He has redeemed, it says, our spirit and our body. The price paid for that was his blood. So your spirit and your body are bought. They are redeemed. They are paid for. And they were paid for by God's own blood. That's what it means when the Bible says God has redeemed you. He has bought you back. He has bought your body and he has bought your spirit back. You are now God's property. Say, I belong to God. Okay, go to Revelation chapter 5. All right, Revelation 5, are you there? Look at verse 9. It says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign where? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, on the earth. This is a worship service, basically, talking about here in heaven. Every kind of people were apparently there. Notice the blood was shed for every kind of person, black, white, no matter what, old, young. The blood is for everybody. Jesus here was worthy to open the book with the names in it. Why? Because he was the one who was slain and bought all mankind. He redeemed all to God, and what did he use for the price? By his blood. Say, by his blood. blood. So the word redeemed here, once again, is the same word bought that we read in Corinthians. Who redeemed or bought us for God? Jesus did. What price was paid for your redemption? The blood. What did the blood pay for? Your spirit and your body. So the blood not only shed for our spirit so we could be born again, but also shed for our body so that we could live in divine health. Many places they teach that the body is no good, it is old, it is sinful, sin dwells in that nasty old rotten body I got, there's going to be no change until the rapture, but notice what it says here, it says you were bought, past tense, the lamb was slain, past tense, the blood was shed, not going to be shed, he has, past tense, redeemed us. Your body is a temple now of the Holy Ghost. Now, the devil is a thief. What does the devil want to do? He wants to trespass on God's property. How does he do that? He does it in your body through sickness, through disease. He does it through worry. He does it through fear. But your body is not his. It is God's. You are a temple of the living God, and your body is holy. Say, my body is holy. Now, as an example is, a temptation to sin comes into your life and is tempted to lie or cheat or steal. How many know it's not up to God to resist that? It's up to you to resist that. So what do you do? And why can you resist it? You can resist it because your spirit has been redeemed from sin by the blood that Jesus shed. Now, you can rule over sin. The Bible says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. That's up to you. And the only reason why you can do that is because Jesus has bought back your spirit and your body. If a temptation comes to get sick, a symptom attacks your body, how many of you know it's not up to God to resist that symptom? It's up to you to resist it. Why can I resist it? Because my body was redeemed from sickness and disease by the blood. Now you can rule over sickness and disease because you have been redeemed, bought back, your body has been bought, and you are now God's property. When a symptom attacks your body, you were bought with a price. We think, I'm, I'm getting sick. I feel like I'm coming down with something. But notice whenever you're tempted to sin, you don't necessarily say, I believe I'm going to sin, and I believe I'm coming down with adultery. Yet they were paid for at the same time, at the same place. One is resisted, the other is not. One, one is put up with, the other is not. Sickness and disease in the body of Christ has been separated. Do we sin? No. Do we want to sin? No. Sickness and disease? Well, you know, if I get sick, I get sick, and that's just the way we... You've got to put them both together because a price bought for them at one time was the blood shed at the same time. I hear people all over the place applying the blood. Do you ever hear that? I apply the blood to my house. I apply the blood to my kids. If you don't know what the blood provided, you're wasting your time. In order to apply the blood, you've got to know what the blood provided in order to apply the blood to the area of your life. So if you want to apply the blood, you apply it to your body because basically you are now God's property and you are free from sickness and disease by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We resist sin. 
because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So we have a legal right to resist any sin or any temptation that comes. Well, we are also healed, and we have a right to resist sickness because we are redeemed. Say, I am healed. Even if we separate them so much that people will get around you and say, oh, don't get near me because I've got a cold. Have you ever walked up to somebody and they said, oh, don't get near me, I just sinned? No, they don't do that. Because once again, we've separated the two. One you think you can catch, one you don't think you can catch. Somebody says, I'm catching a cold. Well, I'm catching healing. Come on now. It's the way that we talk. It's the way that we think. They were both provided at the same time. Jesus paid for both of them. You are just as redeemed from sickness and disease as you are from sin. But it's up to you to apply the blood, what it paid for in that situation, to live in victory in that area. It was all paid for by the blood. Say, by the blood. All right, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or revealed in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in who? In God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. For all grass or all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endures how long? Forever. And this is the word that the gospel is preached unto you. So notice, once again, we need to know, number one, it says, you know that you're redeemed. Look at verse 18. For as much as you know, say, I know. You know that you were redeemed. What was redeemed? Your spirit and your body. How were they redeemed? By the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 23. You were born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So your spirit, once again, gave you an opportunity to be born again. Your body was bought so that you could live in divine health. The Bible says that you are a new creation from a brand new seed. That new seed is the Word of God. The Word of God is incorruptible. It does not change. It's the nature of God. It's God himself. It's the Word of God. The old corruptible part of you, the sickly, the sinner, has passed away, and all things have become new and are of God. So my spirit is now brand new. My body is new. It has vigorous life in it. I mean, almost that life comes from your spirit on the inside of you. So look at verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Here it tells you purify your soul. Say purify your soul. Now notice the blood bought your spirit and it also bought your body. It did not touch your soul. In other words, your spirit man, who you are, the real you, got born again. Your body has been redeemed. But the connection between your spirit and your body is your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. So he says, even though they've been bought with a price, your soul's basically up for grabs. What do you need to do? You need to purify your soul. I have to purify. Why? Because when I got born again, how many know your mind did not change? Your mind remained the same, your spirit changed, but your mind did not change. So basically you need to purify your soul. How am I going to purify my soul? How am I going to do it? Look what it says, it's in the verse. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Say, I need to obey the truth. Now the truth is the word of God, isn't it? So what do we do? That's what we do. As sincere milk of the word, as little children, we want to get in the word of God. As we read the word of God, basically we want to know the truth so that we can obey the truth. Now if you do not know the truth, you will never purify your soul because you can't obey something that you don't even know. So that's why you need to get in the word of God, get under people who know what the truth is all about because the blood was shed, the price is paid, your body now belongs to God, healing belongs to you, I can and should resist symptoms when they attack my physical body. 
You can live sick even though the precious blood of Christ was shed for you. Your soul is the connection between your spirit and between your body. We read the scripture a couple weeks ago. I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Or even as you purify your soul, you'll be able to live in health. What is a prosperous soul? One that obeys the truth. What is an unprosperous soul? One that lives by feelings and emotions and disregards the truth of the word of God. So it's the word of God, the incorruptible seed, that allows us to purify our souls, basically to line up in right standing with God in the way that we think and the things that we do. Look at it again, verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. Say, through the Spirit. Spirit. Now notice, you can obey the truth and you can obey the truth by the Spirit. Here it tells you by the Spirit. You can obey the truth on things basically in your life that are lined up. Are you supposed to forgive when somebody hurts you? Yes, we all know that. Are you supposed to buy that house or this house? Don't know, do you? So what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to obey the truth, but also the Spirit of God behind that truth, because He will lead you and guide you in every single area of your life in order to obey the truth. Every time you act on or obey the truth, you purify your soul a little bit more. The first time you resist sickness and disease and you stand on the Word of God, you're purifying your soul. Your soul basically is just made up of whatever you put in. It's like a computer. Whatever you've jammed in there over your 30, 40, 50 years, that's what's in there. And how many know some of the stuff that got in there... And needs to be taken out of there. <laughs> so what's happening? We're finding the word of God. We're finding things new. I'm finding out all at once that I'm no longer a sinner. The Bible says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't feel like the righteousness of God with Christ. Everybody told me I'm a rotten, filthy, dirty sinner. But if God says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, then bless God, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. So since I'm righteous, I'm not going to sin because righteous people don't sin. Why would righteous people sin when they're righteous? Doesn't even make any sense. So I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, so I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to be able to detect sin. I'm going to be able to obey the truth, and I'll start walking in the truth. Well, sin will not be bothering me nearly as much as it did as when I first got saved. Are you following me? So basically, what am I doing? I'm just obeying the Word of God as I read the Word of God and explaining the truth to me. Because most of us, before we got born again, and many people after they got born again, have never gotten in the truth, so they've never purified their souls. That's why we spend a lot of our time getting people saved who already are. You got a friend who just said, man, they can't be saved the way they act. Well, they are born again. They just never purified their soul, and they act just as stupid as they did before they got saved. See, there's no transfer as a man thinks in his heart. So if you think you're a sinner, guess what's going to happen? See? Well, I believe the truth is we're just all sinners. The Bible says, well, come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, 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 sinners. Well, you're going to have a good time because you ain't got no problem sinning whatsoever because it's natural for a sinner to do what? Come on, a cat meows, a dog barks, a cow moves, a sinner sins. See? But a righteous person walks in righteousness. A sick person, what do they do? They live in sickness and disease. But what does a healed person do? Lives in divine health. See, it's a transformation of what the Bible and what it says who you are, basically. And you make that transportation by obeying the truth of the Word of God. It, it renews your mind, it says in one place in the Bible, but it purifies your mind. So the believe you are sick and you need healed. What if I believe I'm sick and I need healed? How many know you still need some purifying of your soul? Because the Bible never says you're the sick going to be healed. It says you are the healed, praise God. So what am I going to do? I'm going to have to stay in the word of God. I'm going to have to remember that the blood was shed. I'm going to have to remember that I was bought with a price. I'm going to have to change the way that I talk, the way that I do things, the way that I confess. See, you can really, if, if you believe the word of God, you can confess your, thing, your mouth out of anything. I confess myself out of addiction. Instead of saying, I'm an alcoholic, I've been drinking for 30 years. Are you born again? I'm born again, but I'm an alcoholic, praise God. I've been drinking. No, I said, I'm born again, praise God, and I was delivered from alcohol. The Bible says I've been totally set free. Are you an alcoholic? Absolutely, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't care if I was still drinking, I was going to say I'm not an alcoholic, see? It doesn't matter what I'm doing, it matters what I believe. Most people in the world want to change their actions to believe they're getting holy. Just believe you're holy, and you won't have to worry about your actions anymore. We don't move by things. We move from faith to faith to to faith. It's all got to do with faith. So the more I believe of who I am in the divine nature by purifying my soul, basically, the more I'm going to walk in those things. So if I'm a healed person, then I'm going to walk like I'm healed. If I found out I'm righteous, I'm going to purify my soul, and I'm going to walk as a righteous person. If I'm blessed, I don't care what my bank account says. The Bible says I'm blessed, and I'm blessed, praise God. Are you blessed? Praise God. Yes, I am. Can you afford that car? I'm blessed. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. What are you doing? You're lining up with the Word of God. You're purifying your soul. And, and the key is, the anointing will follow your agreement with God. 
So if you want to operate in the supernatural, you've got to agree with God first of all. So I had to say, I'm not an alcoholic, praise God. I've been delivered from alcoholism. And every time I said that, the anointing was released a little bit more out of the inside of me in my life to a point to where it drove the urge out, so it drove everything out of my life. It totally set me totally free by the anointing that was on the inside through the agreement with the Word of God. As long as you're not going to agree with the Word of God, you can have the most powerful anointing in the world, and it's never going to work for you anyway because it will not induce sin in your life. I'm a sinner. No anointing there to take care of that, praise God. And he goes, I'm sick as a dog. No anointing there to help you be sick as a dog. So you've got to come into agreement. How am I going to do that? I'm going to purify my soul by obeying. the. So what do I want to do? I want to, people say, well, I ain't going to say I'm healed when I got symptoms in my body. I'm going to wait till they go. Well, all you've got to do is believe you're healed and the symptoms will go. Believe you're rich and you will be rich. Do you see? It's not the other way around. You just can't wait. Well, as soon as I never sin again, I'm going to get saved. I mean, no, we'd all be going to hell. Come on. I ain't going to be saved. God can't save me until I get rid of all my sin. Good luck. No, I'm going to get born again, nature change, and I'm going to believe I'm righteous. And through my righteousness, I believe I'm going to get sin out of my life a little bit at a time till I'm walking free of sin in my life because I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But I had to believe the word first, not what was going on in the natural realm out here, what I thought of myself or what anybody else thought of myself. That's why if you really want to change in your life, you better find out what he says about you. Come on, not what pastor so-and-so on church, not for the evangelist so-and-so that don't know nothing, says something, not Joe Brother Smoe's book, who don't know anything about God anyway. You don't need that kind of stuff. You need this book right here, praise God, and line up with the Bible that's here. Glory to God. So it's faith in the finished work of Christ, in the new birth, and the healing that was paid for it, that will produce results in your life. The blood has been shed, and the price has been paid. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I got this good stuff tonight. I'm telling you, I, I'm going to take up an offering, I think, when I get done tonight. Praise God. Funny, you just wait till I get the bucket out here. Then we'll see who's all laughing and who ain't. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 6. It says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge or cleanse out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even Christ our Passover has been sacrificed or put to death for us. Here it tells you to purge or purify out the old leaven. Now what part of your body is it talking about? Talking about your soul, isn't it? Talking about your mind, your will, and emotions. Purge out the old leaven. What is the old leaven? Well, wrong teaching, wrong thinking, tradition, things that you learned that's not lined up with the Word of God. Why should, I, why should I purge out the old leaven? It says, so that you may be a new lump. Say, be a new lump. <laughs> now notice here, it does not say the purging of the soul will make you a new lump. It tells you that you are purging your soul because you already are a new lump. But you just don't know how lumpy you really are, praise God. Hallelujah. You don't know what God has already done for you. So what does God want you to do? He, all at once you get born again, bang, instantly a miracle. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You've got the nature of God, your image and likeness of God. You're holy, you're righteous, you're all this stuff. But now you've got all this stuff up here. You're trying to get rid of to line up with what God did in your spirit, basically. So you're going to have to purge some of that old thinking out. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm no longer an alcoholic. I'm no longer poor. I'm no longer down and out. I'm no longer a victim. You're getting all that stuff out of there to getting all that unleavened stuff out of there so that you can become a lump, basically, that Jesus has already made you. You're not purging your soul to become saved and healed. You're purging your soul because you are saved and you are healed. That was done by the blood when Jesus shed it on the cross. You are purging your soul to believe the truth that you are a saved person and you are a healed person. Once again, how do we purge our soul? How do we purify our soul? We obey the truth in other words, we act on the truth like it's true. In other words, whatever you read in the Bible, you can act like it's true because it is the truth. If there's no action on the Word of God, there'll be no change in your life. Only through acting on the Word of God does change and the purifying come in your life. And notice here it says, who is our Paschal sa Passover sacrifice? Christ is our Passover sacrifice. He shed the blood for us. All right, go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 
Once again, as you read the Old Testament, you start to learn the New Testament, you're going to find out there's a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament that you can prove are types and shadows by knowing the New Testament. In other words, you just can't go to the Old Testament, read it, and come out of there some kind of scholar because most of the stuff there you won't understand unless it's in the light of the New Testament. And once you understand the New Testament, then you will see the types and shadows that are there. All right, Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse 5. It says, you need to take your lamb, shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, Roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat it not raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head and his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remains of it in the morning you shall burn. Now, once again, this is talking about basically the Passover. Remember the Passover in the Old Testament? Basically, what did they do? An old type shadow here. They took a lamb without spot or without blemish. Who does that signify in the New Testament? Jesus Christ. They took the blood from the lamb and they put it on their doorpost so that death and sickness and disease would pass over the people. Why would it pass over the people? Because of the blood that was on their doorpost. Basically, the blood redeemed them from the curse at that time. The curse had to pass over their lives. Why? Because the blood of a sheep that they put on their doorpost. Say the blood of a sheep. But today's church does not have a natural sheep. We already found out that Christ is our Passover sacrifice, a lamb with no spot, no blemish. We need to take advantage of our whole redemption in the faith of the blood of a natural lamb. Now notice, here's a natural lamb. All these Israelite people are here. Basically, the death comes over. You ever seen the movie? It's pretty, it's floating around, you know, and it looks in and it goes out and all that stuff. And it passes over each and every one of them. Now notice, this was blood of nothing more than a lamb that somebody had. Now we go in the New Testament. How many know Jesus' blood might be better than the lamb's blood that was in the Old Testament? So when we apply that blood to our doorpost, basically by understanding what the blood provides, basically the curse must pass over us also. Well, what's under the curse? Sickness and disease and worry and fear and poverty and all those things. So notice, if the blood of a lamb could deliver three million people from the curse, how much more should the blood of Christ deliver the church from the curse and all those things when it's applied to us? And notice here it says, eat the whole lamb. Say, eat the whole lamb. Well, the church has eaten part of the lamb. We're saved, healed. No, we're not healed. We just want to eat part of what the lamb provided, not all that the lamb provided. Because one of them deals more with our feelings and emotions, and we just put them up here on the pedestal, and whenever they say, that's what they say. But notice the word of God has to be in your mind to a place where it's above that. So the blood of Christ has delivered us. Say the blood of Christ is better than lamb's blood. So if the Israelites lived in health, then I can certainly live in health, because I got the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, go to Leviticus chapter 14. If you've never seen the original Ten Commandments, you ought to watch it. It's really pretty good, you know. Not any of the newer stuff they put out where they make up stories. I'm talking about the real story, what actually happened, praise God. All right, Leviticus chapter 14. Are you there? Look at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. Now notice, this is called the law of the leper. Say the law of the leper. What was it? It was an Old Testament procedure that God put in here, because at that time there was a lot of leprosy, and God wanted his people healed, so he gave them a way to get lepers healed at that time. And this is it. It's called the law of the leper. All right, let's read it. Look at verse 4. 
Then shall the priests command to take for him, and that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Now let's back up a little bit and let's look at this. It says, first of all, in verse 4, Then shall the priest command to take for him, that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean. Who do you think the two birds are? Type in shadow. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the two birds here. One alive, one dead. One was Jesus up to the cross where he was killed, and one was Jesus after he was raised. How many know when the first bird got killed, it didn't stay there? Jesus was raised from the dead. So there's two birds here alive. What does the cedar wood represent? Yeah, I knew you'd get that. Praise God. I, yeah. That represents the cross. Scarlet in, scarlet in the Old Testament means basically suffering. And hyssop means faith. So here's two birds basically represented by Jesus Christ. The priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in a what? Say earthen vessel. How many know that Jesus came in an earthen vessel as a man? That bird was basically killed at the time over running water. How many know the Holy Ghost had a part in this? Yes, he did, praise God. So as for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet. He kills the one bird in an earthen vessel. Then he takes that blood, and he puts it on the other bird. And then he lets the bird go. Say, lets the bird go. Now, what does that represent? Okay, Jesus goes to the cross. He suffers and dies. He's a dead bird in an earthen vessel. They take the blood from that. They put it on the new, new Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. They let the bird go. How many know that represents the resurrection? So he was raised. So what is it showing? It's just an Old Testament thing of, of Jesus coming, only they're using a bird instead of a lamb. He's coming. He's coming in an earthen vessel. He's coming as a man. He's going to be crucified. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be blood. There's going to be death. But he's going to be raised from the dead, giving power to the blood. And he's going to be released in the resurrection. And that blood will provide the, the deliverance for the leprosy of these people. Look at verse 7. And he shall then sprinkle upon that is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and he shall do it seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. There's a resurrection. Look at it again. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed. In other words, the leper. He's going to sprinkle this new anointed blood on him how many times? Seven times. And he does what? Pronounces him what? Clean. Now watch this. Type and shadow again. So the guy goes in there, they kill one bird, they take the blood from it, they put it on the new bird, they release the new bird, and the priest says, healed from the top of his head to the soles of his feet by the blood of a bird. How many know he was still standing there with sores all over his body? Had leprosy all over. It wouldn't heal. He was a bloody leper. That's all he was. But hyssop is the faith. In other words, once the blood was applied, didn't matter what he looked like, he was healed, basically, and the priest could pronounce him. I'm not going to say I'm healed when I'm sick. See, we're going through the same thing. We don't even understand the bird story, for goodness sakes. He pronounced him clean before he was actually clean based on the blood that was shed by the bird and placed upon him. Are you following me? Yeah. See? Well, I can't believe that stuff. I just believe in the symptom. Well, I believe in the blood. It depends where you want to put your faith. You can put it in the symptom, you can put it in the thing, or you can put it in the blood. So here's the bird. What did he do? He put it on there, and he proclaimed him healed, basically, even while he wasn't healed yet. Still had the sore, still had everything, but he knew he was healed because he had plied the blood, and basically that bird blood was going to work because that's what God gave them as a law leper to get someone healed. Are you following me? Hallelujah. All right, go to Matthew chapter 8. I thought of this on the way here. This is going to be a freebie here. This is going to be extra. There's some things as you read the Bible for years and years and years and you see the scriptures and you say, what the heck is that talking about? Do you ever do that? Well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Have you ever did that? And then you keep studying and keep studying and pretty soon it pops. You say, I can't believe I was that stupid that I didn't see that over the last 20 years. So, All right, Matthew chapter 8. Look at verse 1. And when Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately, what happened? His leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See that you tell no man, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, 
and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a test. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why would I go offer the sacrifice to the priest when I just got healed by the power of God? Jesus touched me. I'm healed. I don't have to. Because God wants everything you've done based on his word. Not on a miracle. Not on a sensation. Not on something miraculous. Because when the leprosy comes back, you'll end up receiving it again. He said, no, I want you to go. What does my word say? You may not have any leprosy now, but you need to go. Do what I told you to do. You need to go. Let them two birds go. Let them sprinkle you. Let, them, let the priest proclaim you're healed, even though you are healed at this time. Why? Because I want you to do everything based on the word of God at all times. So he sent the leper back. I don't know if the leper ever went back or not. I would guess he probably didn't. Why? Because he was already healed. So God wants you. So you've you're, you got a symptom in your body, and you don't feel very good. And you say, Mary, would you please pray for me because I don't feel good? And Mary prays for you, and the symptom leaves. That's wonderful. That's great. But if you're still not based on what the blood provided for you, you'll be sick again in a week. But if you know it was by the blood that you were healed, and they were just applying that blood into my life, and why am I healed? Not because I feel better, not because I look better, but because the Bible says, by his stripes I've been healed, and the blood provided for my healing. Now i got something solid to stand on, don't I? I can't stand on my feelings, my God. Can't stand on my emotions, oh, Lord, no. Can't stand on my symptoms. I've got to stand on the blood every single time, so I'm going to stand on the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that's the way you live healed. All right, go to Galatians chapter 3. All right, Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through what? Faith. So here it's talking about the tree. How many of you know that represents the cross? The cross here was the place of exchange. Jesus became the curse so that you could be set free from the curse. Everything that Jesus took and did on the cross was an exchange to you. He was made sin so that you could be made righteous. He was made sick so that you could be made healed. He was made poor so that you could be made rich. Christ died so that you could live. Christ was made the curse so that you could live in the blessing. The curse, spiritual death, sin, sickness, and guilt. I look at verse 14. He did all this that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So the blessing was provided by Jesus Christ. We know it was provided through his blood. But notice, it doesn't say because of what he did, God is going to bless you. It says that the blessing of Abraham might do what? Come on. Say, come on. Come on, blessing. It's going to come on you. Why is that? As you put faith in what Jesus did to deliver you from the curse, basically the blessing of God, healing, and all those things will come on you. And the Bible also says they will overtake you. Hallelujah. Why did he do this? Also so you could receive. Say receive. Now, how many of you know in order to receive something, you have to know that it was given in order for you to receive it oh lord i'm just trying to get the holy ghost i'm trying to you don't get him you receive him he's already been offered to you so you could receive the promise of the spirit through what faith so if you have faith you could just simply say praise god i've never been baptized in the holy ghost but the bible says here that i can be baptized in the holy ghost that god wants me baptized in the holy ghost lord i thank you for baptizing me in the holy ghost right now in jesus name and i thank you and i praise you and give you glory for it in jesus name and go on your way instead of going i don't feel him yet he didn't touch me yet. I don't think he's there yet. No, what do you do? The blood's already provided for the thing. It already belongs to you. You just take it. Praying in tongues is the same way. You just got to understand that the Bible says that speaking in tongues is, belongs to the believer. So praise God, I thank you for the gift of speaking in tongues. Glory to God, I thank you for that. Now out of my belly is going to flow a river of living water, and I just give you praise. And I'm a born-again believer, and I speak in tongues. And you go to bed that night about 3 o'clock in the morning, you wake up going, not even know what hit you. Why is that? Because it's received by faith but it's already been provided by the blood praise God so redeemed bought back by the blood on the cross he bear our sin our sickness and the whole curse all right go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 
You read in the uh, James chapter 5 about the prayer of faith. Basically, when you call for the elders of the church and they pray over you, and the prayer of faith, not the prayer of hope, not the prayer of wish, not the prayer of me feeling better, the prayer of faith will save the sick. So when we lay hands on you, if you come and we pray for you, at that very instant, praise God, you are healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Praise God. You just want to give him glory and honor for don't matter what symptoms are there, what's going on, why, because if you're going to stay in faith, stay in faith. Well, I don't feel any better. Well, then you might as well forget it. See, it's got to do with faith. And what's the faith in? Your deliverance and your redemption. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verse 27, I love to read these. These are under the curse. The Lord will smite thee with a botch of Egypt and with the emroids and with the scab and with the itch wherefore thou canst not be healed. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of the heart and thou shalt grope at noonday as a blind grope at darkness and thou shalt not prosper in the ways and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore and no man shall be able to save thee and thou shalt betroth a wife and another man will take her right away from you. You shall build a house. How many know that is definitely a curse there? There's no question about there. So What's he doing? He's, he's reminding you once again what the curse is, but also what you've been redeemed from. You have to know what you're redeemed from. Now look at verse 61. It says, also every sickness and every plague, which is not even written in this book. In other words, he couldn't put everything in. He got the botch and the emroids and a couple other in there, and he couldn't get them all in there. You see, he couldn't list them all. So he says, every sickness and every disease is under that curse. But now you have been redeemed from the curse of the law, so you've been redeemed from every sickness and every disease that was under the curse because each and every one of them is under the curse of the law say i am redeemed redeemed. all right go to hebrews chapter 9 All right, here it explains the difference between the Old Testament and the New. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 12. It was neither by the blood of goats and calves, or not even birds, but by his own blood, Jesus entered in once into the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. Now notice this was done one time. It wasn't goats, wasn't calves, wasn't bird blood. It was Jesus' blood. And by his own blood, he entered in once. He's not going to do it again into the holy place. And he's obtained what kind of redemption? What kind of redemption? Eternal. So you, in your life, you have an eternal defeat of sin, an eternal defeat of sickness, an eternal defeat of the devil, an eternal defeat of the curse. You have been eternally redeemed, not just when you feel like it, not just when the money's there, not just when you feel like you're having a good day. You have been eternally redeemed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the running water, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience or your mind from dead works to serve the living God. Now this goes a little bit further. Back in those days, they could not renew their minds on bird blood because they still had a sin nature on the inside of them. So their minds could not be renewed. But when you got born again, you now have the nature of God on the inside of you. Love, peace, joy, righteousness is on the inside of you. And the blood of Christ is strong enough to purge your conscience and your mind from dead works to serve the living God. What are dead works? Dead works are basically works that you do to obtain what the blood has already provided for you. If I just lift my hands and shout a little louder, God's going to heal me. No, the blood healed you. You can shout all you want, shout as loud as you want. That's not what's going to get you healed. You shout because he has healed you, not to get healed. Are you following me? If you just lift your hands and cry out to God, he'll heal you. No, he already healed you 2,000 years ago. I'm going to lift my hands and cry out because he did heal me, praise God. It don't matter what I feel like. So what am I doing? I'm stepping over into the already done faith arena. And when you do that, basically, then you're out of dead works. Most of the church is in dead works. That's why they do everything in the church they don't want to do and wear themselves out and still didn't impress God at all because that's not the way you do it. The only way you're going to impress God is by faith and what he's already provided. The only way you're going to do it is understand that by the blood I've been healed, I've been delivered. Joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm full of the peace of God, and I'm going to walk in those things. Why? Because he provided those things for me. I mean, you know, when you give somebody a gift, it's good if they receive it and even like it. 
See, if you brought somebody a gift and you gave it to them, the next day they called you and wanted to buy it, you think they were nuts. Yet the whole church gets everything free from Jesus and tries to buy it through their works and everything that they do, trying to get it from Jesus. And we don't, we just think it's a natural thing to do. No, it's just as crazy that way around as it is the other way around. And how many know if you get somebody something you thoroughly think they're going to like that's good for them and you give it to them and they give you that face and you don't feel like you should have gave them anything at all. I wonder sometimes Jesus probably says, well, I, don't know, I went to the cross for these bozos, shed my blood for these guys. They don't even care what I did anyway, praise God. Hallelujah. I can remember one time for Christmas, I didn't know what I was going to get, but I thought I was going to get something good, and I was a little boy, and my mom gave me a big box that's about the size of what I thought I was going to get, Woo-hoo! and I opened that thing up, and it was Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I could not believe it. I didn't like them. I didn't want them. I didn't care, and they were so excited to give it to me, and when they looked at my face, how many know they didn't get any joy out of that? No joy whatsoever. Now they push the button, they punch each other, and the head goes up. It looks like a lot of fun, you know. But it's not something I wanted. How many know that did not make them feel very good? Well, it's the same way. Jesus is offering all this stuff. We might as well receive this stuff and live by this stuff and bring joy to his heart. Praise God. All right, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Running late. I got to hurry. Got to go. I don't have one of those things that alarm me like Patrick does. I got to just go by the clock. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 7. It says, in whom, talking about Jesus Christ, we have, say have. No, we have redemption through his, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good purpose, which he has purposed in himself. Notice this was done even before you were created, even before you were born, even before the world was made. This was already set up that Jesus was going to come and redeem mankind and bring forgiveness through his blood and everything that he provided long before that took place. God had our mess already figured out. All right, go to Psalm 103. be fun to be able to think just like God, wouldn't it? So that you know what, what's going to hit your life in 10 years, you know what's coming, and you already know what you're doing and it's already taken care of what's coming 10 years down the road because you've already figured out what's coming, praise God. That would be fun. All right, Psalm 103, look at verse 4. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Say redeemeth. redeemeth. Now notice, redeemeth is not past tense, it's not future tense, it's now tense. In other words, you are being redeemeth all the time in your life. Every single second of every single day you're healed, you're redeemeth. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. He redeemeth this present time. You are redeemed right now. When you get up tomorrow morning, you're going to be redeemed. When you go to bed tonight, you're going to be redeemed. When you get up on Friday morning, you're going to be redeemed. Because he's constantly redeemeth us. All right, go to Psalm 107. All right, look at verse 1. Give thanks unto the Lord because he is good, and his mercy endures how long? Let the redeemed of the Lord, who has redeemed him from who? The hand of the enemy. So notice, we should be walking around as redeemed people because God is good. He's redeemed us by his blood from sickness, from the curse, from disease, from all these things. We're giving him thanks for all this thing, but notice he has redeemed us from the hand. Say the hand. Notice the hand of the enemy. Well, if he's redeemed us from the hand of the enemy, then the devil shouldn't be able to touch you because you've been redeemed from his hand. So whatever the devil tries to put on you, whatever he tries to give on you, you've already been redeemed from. You have been redeemed from all his works. And what do we do? We walk around saying so, talking like, acting like, agreeing with our redemption. All right, one more. Revelations 12. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Sounds like a song. All right, Revelations chapter 12, look at verse 7. It says, And there was a war where? In heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. How many know who the dragon is? And the dragon fought with his angels, but he prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. 
And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God how often? Day and night. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Notice this is talking about living your over overcoming lifestyle. How do we do it? We do it by the blood of the Lamb, what the blood has paid for in our life, and the word of our testimony. How many know that's the words that come out of your mouth? You've got to talk in line with your redemption, with the blood, which what is provided. We're talking in line. Here it says Satan is an accuser. He is a deceiver. He deceives the whole world. He is an accuser. The only difference between this scripture right here and today is the devil can no longer accuse you before God. And that's because he's been thrown out of heaven. No, no more welcome. No trespassing. Not allowed in anymore. Do not enter. Can't go. So what does he do? He doesn't accuse you about to God anymore. He accuses you to you. You're no good. You can't do anything. You're sick. You're nobody. Never going to work for you. Don't believe in that blood stuff. It's not going to work for you. Go ahead. Tell everybody you're sick. Tell everybody you're weak. Tell everybody you're down. And down. Go ahead. Talk the truth. You should talk the truth. Now you can have that conversation. It's just sitting there having a conversation with a person and it's still going on right here. Hallelujah. How many of you know that? Praise God. But he can't fool you now because you know about the blood tonight. Praise God. The blood has provided. It has redeemed you. It has totally set you free. Say, I am redeemed. By the blood of Christ, not bird blood, not goats, not sheep, but Jesus' blood. And there's power in that blood. And I thank God that as of this night, I am going to apply the blood to my health. I am healed. To my soul, I live in peace. To my spirit, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. To my life, I live in victory. To my attitude, always good. To my forgiveness, I forgive everyone who has ever hurt me in my life. I choose to live the overcoming, blood-bought lifestyle that Jesus provided for me. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. For listening. For more from Treasure Coast Victory Center, visit us at mytcbc.com.